I'm going to do it like this. I'm going to intro every episode like this. I thought this was going to be pretty cool. I would okay. say this. Episode two. And then that's it. That's all you need. Yeah, I'll do, the, I'll do the guitar. You can do like the drums. So it'll be like. It was the 5th of November. <laughs> the day I'll always remember. thing ghost little episode two the topic of the day ownership i suppose and that is a terrifying thing to bring to the forefront considering that ownership can mean a lot of things especially if we're talking about well what can you own what can't you own and what have you been able to own legally or illegally throughout his human history (laughs) at this point it feels like i own less things than ever Precisely, precisely my thinking bringing up this topic because, I mean, we don't really own a lot, but nevertheless, people derive a lot of self-worth from the idea that, oh, I own, I own this rake. I can rake my own yard. Well, I don't have a yard, man. So, what good does a rake do me? <laughs> you know, it's it's circular logic like that. But in in this beautiful capitalist society that we have, where it's just you know, get as much stuff as you possibly can. At least it used to be that way until about five, ten years ago or so when a generation of people weren't given decent salaries and they couldn't buy anything. So they invented Zipcar and the rest uh, kind of tumbled forward from there. I don't know why I cited Zipcar as the first kind of like, oh, we're going to defray the cost of something monumental like owning a car because people don't have the money for it. It's, it's fair, man. I sold my car last year because I moved to Boston. I'm moving downtown and it just doesn't make sense anymore. So, I mean, that's one less thing I own. And it's a strange one because I come from Michigan, which is like the seat of the auto industry. Like my town has probably one in five roads actually has sidewalks. So like growing up, every single member of the family had a car, maybe more than one car. So moving here and not owning a car anymore is just strange, man. Yeah. And I grew up on a dirt road in between two sheep farms, and I couldn't walk into town. That was inconceivable. You couldn't even bike into town from where I was living. You needed a car. You needed you needed a lawnmower because you you know we had a gigantic lawn, and it was just stuff everywhere. But nevertheless, we're kind of rolling into a digital era where we don't necessarily need to own certain things, whether out of necessity or because of the way that we live, or we don't want to bother with the trappings of having to own a a car and pay insurance and fill it with gas and risk your life every time you get into the metal tube and drive down a highway full of people who haven't had their licenses renewed in 30 something years. And you're kind (laughs) of, you're kind of risking life and limb, but that's, that's kind of going down the car route. But what I wanted to think about is what does, because we, we talked about, we talked about content and creation and marketing last time, but what does, what does authorship play in a world where possessions are less material than ever before? You know, if we have something like Netflix and people are watching a lot of shows there, or they're watching something on HBO, 
how important is being able to create something if we're not necessarily able to possess Netflix. You can, you can go and you can buy BoJack Horseman on DVD or something like that, but you can't necessarily possess that thing. And how important is that? Do we create things these days because we can't necessarily own things these days? I think we have access to more things than ever and we own less things than ever. You could used to be you would buy your own ledger, I guess, if you were an old-time accountant. But now you just have a license with Excel and you're kind of subject to their whims, their updates, whatever it might be. And if you're man, here's the here's the trouble. I don't know what any of those dang kids do. Mostly Snapchat. Yeah, or whether or not well that's that's a good point. Whether or not they necessarily care that that they don't own the second season of Rick and Morty on Blu-ray, that they can just go and access it on Hulu. I don't think they particularly mind that. And it's a fact of life for them that come October, a certain series might be taken off of Netflix and like, well, those are the breaks. That's just sort of, that's the seasonality that they understand. Whereas in our day, we understood that there weren't new episodes of Seinfeld during the summertime. So the takeaway there is invest in DVDs and you'll always have access to your stuff. <laughs> yeah, even when the internet goes out. Yeah. Do, you th- do you think the, the consistency of everybody generating content has motivated other people to generate content because when you can never hold on to something and when everything is impermanent you're kind of like well i gotta build something i gotta do something and even though that i know even though that i know it's not gonna be necessarily permanent i better make something because that's cooler than knowing that this other content might go away someday i think there's a i think there's a connection there I agree with you. I think I think ownership to some degree is shifting away from the things you own. I mean, don't get me wrong, like I love buying sneakers and stuff, but it's become more about, at least in our little bubble, about ownership of your voice and your thoughts and your ideas. And the platforms you put them on, you don't own any of them, but it's more about owning what you put out there, not necessarily the medium it's on. That's a really good point. I think it's interesting the way that creation has kind of become a skill, the way that touch typing was once a skill. Do you have a, it's not even a question whether or not, did you ever have that when you were in an interview way back when? And you're like, do you know how to use Microsoft Word? And you're like, yeah, dude, I've written, <laughs> I've, been to, I've been to college. Like I've, I've an educated man. Like I had to write a lot of papers. Like why, I remember stock, talking to my sister about that. And she's like, yeah, make sure that you include that you can use Excel on your resume. Like my very, very baby's very first resume. Yeah, that's that's why, strange. Why would I? And I'm like, why would I include that? I think that that's the same thing as saying like, oh, do you have a Twitter feed? Like, yeah, dude, I also breathe oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have that moment where you're like at work and you see someone who's like ten years older than you and in some sort of senior position, like peck typing with their index yeah. fingers. Yeah, my dad does that. He's he he did that till till the day he retired. Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't do nothing. But by the same token. My brother, perhaps one of the more successful business people that I know, has no social media presence. I think, yeah, I think he has LinkedIn, but he has no Facebook, he has no Twitter, he has no Instagram, he has nothing. I feel like at this point that puts you on some sort of list. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not on, if you're not on the public sector, no, hang on. If you're on the private sector lists, if you're not on some sort of social media network, they cross-reference that and they say, yeah, keep an eye on these guys because. If Facebook isn't watching them, the feds are going to have to. <laughs> Who's watching the Facebooks? Uh, that's the thing, man. It's like, at this point, if you don't have that 
footprint or that trail behind you. I feel like there's got to be somewhere, someone who's like, shit, well, when we, when we uh, take over Facebook and get all of their information ever, we're not going to have anything on this guy. Yeah. What's he hiding? Yeah. Because if you're not your thoughts, if you're not your thoughts on a social media network, how do we know what you stand for, basically? <laughs> how do we know how to advertise? You to mean I got it? Yeah. Well, that's that's the that's the really tragic thing because you and I both know that the only reason that these places are in business is because that they are advertising companies. Facebook is basically a giant highway, and everything that the way the way that it makes money is it has billboards on the side of it. And Google is the same way. They are ostensibly an ad company. And, but they built that network around a really nicely paved road that lets people get to the places that they needed to go. Granted, they have become a, a five-headed hydra of various incorporations, and Google is one thing, and every you know the Pixel phones are another thing, and it's all nested underneath the Alphabet Corporation, which is about as ominous as we can get this side of Wayland Yatani. <laughs> never, <laughs> never, nevertheless, it's it's all about an almost an obligation to if you're to author things in this day and age. Because if you don't own at least your own thoughts, then what the hell? What the hell are you, man? What the heck? That's the thing too about these places is like we don't own anything there. Right? They own it all, and they get to use it, sell it, whatever. Yep. And I don't know. I think. I don't know if this may be going off topic a little bit, but I feel like the incentives are misaligned now, right? These platforms are kind of the de facto way that people get information and share and find connection, but their incentives are not a healthy life for you, right? Their incentives are engagement and clicks. And what gets engagements and clicks? Well, it's like your palate, right? Salt and sugar keep you coming back. And those things are not that healthy. Just like if you open up your Twitter feed, they have an AI that's curating that to basically give you outrage and awe. Yeah. It's not like what's going to help him establish like a good morning routine to make himself a healthy person. No, it's like what's going to get this guy fuming in bed as he looks through his Twitter feed for an extra 10 minutes before getting up. And yeah, uh, sorry. I was going to say, I think having zero ownership on those platforms kind of lets them in big quotation marks, whoever they might be really kind of take you for a ride. I think a lot of people are starting to, even your brother, right? Or like kind of st starting to stay away and push back and be like, I want to own my thoughts. I want to own the things I create. If you're not doing it on these public platforms where you don't own it, then you can't really get things out there. So you're sort of in this, in a bit of a, in a, bit of a bind. Yeah, you're only interesting as a user because they are, they, again, in gigantic quotes, are figuring out the best way to bucket you. You and I have seen a million lists in the background of marketing companies, and you do that for a living. I mean, you know the best way to reach people with messaging is to make sure that you know enough about them that you can give them the most relevant information. The thing is, Twitter and Facebook can do it on a global scale with global money and not not startup money. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there needs to be a shift in kind of ownership of your own information. The way I'd love to see that start is have a setting somewhere in Facebook, Twitter, whatever, like about me, about my targeting. So I can actually see like what lists am I on, what psychographics am I most commonly being targeted for. I feel like there's sort of this inequity of information. They know absolutely everything about us, right? Mm -hmm. But we have no idea how they perceive us and how they've bucketed us and who they're selling our attention to. I think there should be a little more equity there. 
I wonder what they would risk. I wonder what they, obviously they don't want to share the data because it's their data and that's their most valuable thing. Right. I wonder if you, I wonder if you as a person ponied up, yeah, I want, I want to pay $20 a year. I want it to be part of my Amazon subscription to know exactly the background algorithm driving particular products to me. And the moment I say this, my brain goes straight to some sort of non-disclosure agreement that I'm sure Amazon had to sign with, with Ziploc to make sure that that data is, remains guarded so that, that you, know, you know, all the subsidiaries that Amazon or, or Walmart have to deal with, I'm sure it's, they are more beholden to their partners and keeping that data and that research secure than making sure that you feel at ease yeah, and they have at a particular location. The money, where the money comes from is not us, right? So it's in the money's interest to keep it a black box. Yeah. I don't think without any, without some sort of big change, I can't see that changing, but I feel like it, it'd be great to know. Like, yeah. also, I, I feel like you would find some interesting things about like, you know how on Facebook recently it was revealed they had like a Jew haters affinity category? Oh, dude. Like I, would love, I would love to see like what wacky categories I'm in because of one thing I clicked on, one like I left. It, it would be an interesting bit of self-discovery to see exactly how that AI looks at all of us. Nobody wants their internet history tracked to the degree that it could be because then it reminds us perhaps of mistakes that we've made and how badly our Netflix algorithms have been posed by the time where you accidentally watched one too many Nick Cage movies <laughs> on Netflix. And now all of a sudden, all it thinks I want are movies about dads with dead wives going on revenge sprees. Dude, I watched like, I fast forward watched like three or four Steven Seagal movies in mm -hmm. one go. Like I sat down for an hour and just like skipped all the fight scenes, found all of like the really cool conversations behind his shaded yellow glasses. <laughs> Netflix has been convinced, absolutely convinced. I'm like a Steven Seagal aficionado at this point. I'm getting lists instead of just Steven Seagal movies. I'm getting like Steven Seagal revenge story, Steven Seagal revenge in Paris stories, Steven Seagal revenge in Croatia stories. I'm like movies based on books set in Croatia. <laughs> I'm like, look, Netflix. I love what you're trying to do here, but I, I've seen enough huffing and puffing from Steven Seagal. That was all I needed. <laughs> You mentioned when we were talking about Twitter and we were talking about the data that the larger companies are accruing. Now we are moving into very, very advanced interactive algorithms because did you see the press release from HubSpot about the AI company that they acquired? I saw they were buying some sort of AI chatbot. Maybe you can explain that a little bit because I didn't actually get too deep on it. It is a chatbot. They have been experimenting with that stuff for a while now. Uh, I know I know Darmesh has written a lot about it. He was working on some stuff. I think it was really cool. I think he was just kind of dabbling with it. And they bought something that's been incorporated into their CRM tool, which is more of a recommendation item so that salespeople who are going through a CRM list know that they ought to follow up with somebody on a particular date based on the data that they have. So it's that's an advisory tool, and I think that's separate from the main equation here. But what they've acquired just recently, and I'm sure they're going to be talking about it more next week, is a tool that it's, it's just a chatbot that you can ask it any number of questions. And based on, based on a token, 
you can give somebody an answer and they're going to be able to drop that in. If you have the HubSpot software, you can drop that into your site and let people interact with your product. So if you're, if you're running billywitchdoctor.com and you want to make sure that everybody knows about your sale on wheatgrass, something, I don't know what witch doctors sell. I apologize. I apologize to the, to the wheatgrass and witch doctor community. Uh, I, I went to a voodoo shop when I was in New Orleans recently. That's a that's a story for another time. If you you could, it's just a no code tool that you can build a bot and put it a chat bot and put it on your site. That way, when people arrive on your site and they can't really be asked to navigate to the resources that you have there, the little chat thing can slide out and it says, "Hey, welcome to BillyWitchDoctor.com. What can I help you with? What are you looking for?" And same as anything, based on their traffic data based on the visitor coming to the site, they can ask it questions, they can be led down one path or another. To me, it's just another form of website UI. Instead of scrolling through the site and looking for the thing that you think that you're looking for, you can just have a little conversation with a chatbot and it knows enough answers that it can direct the person to the appropriate place, which is a pretty cool piece of uh, UI, if I'm being perfectly honest. Nevertheless, we'll it, we'll it is dependent upon if it works. Yeah, if it works the way that it ought to. But what I what I want to say is it's very much still dependent on the cookies still attached to you as somebody navigating the, the internet. And you aren't necessarily, you don't own your own data. They do. They're going to use that to sell you something. And that's what it comes down to. Yeah, that, that's, we'll see. I've, I've played with a lot of those chatbots and I've yet to see one that really does a close approximation even of the Turing test. It always just feels highly, highly limited. But hey, I mean, I think we're kind of at that inflection point where that's changing. So I I wouldn't be surprised if I've been fooled by a few at this point. Yeah, I've never been fooled by a bot before. I had a friend who thought he was playing Unreal Tournament online one time, but he wasn't. <laughs> they were just bots. That sounds like a story from 2001. <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. that's that's uh, kids. Um, once upon a time, there are computers that weren't connected to the internet. Um, <laughs> I think the AI bot thing is cool. Um, I think once they get more useful, that'll be awesome. I mean, I, I should give them more credit, right? Like my my iPhone pretty much understands whatever I tell it. So I think we're a little further along than, than I give it credit for. Have you experimented with doing like an if then then that or anything like that? Have you have you tried to do any kind of interface with bots? No, not really. Um, have you been playing with something? The best that I've done so far is that I programmed a little chain for uh, turning on and off the lights okay. in my house. So I can basically open up the Google Assistant and type in turn off the lights or turn on the lights and it'll, it'll do it. How is your house connected to Google Assistant? I have, a, I have a Google Home and I have a Wemo that the uh that like a lamp is plugged into oh hey check it out hey Wemo. it thinks that i'm talking to it oh it thinks it's that? people Aww. you're 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 discon you're disconcerting uh, for those of you at home who can't see what i'm doing i'm petting my google nexus 6p it's an emotional display <laughs> how do you feel about losing ownership over the privacy of your home i don't think that there is any version of the future where we're going to be able to operate without that coming soon.
I think in 10 years, pretty much everything is going to be wired up and better to learn how to do it so that you might be able to protect yourself for the version of the future coming. So you're like getting ahead of it. So yeah. uh, going back to the past, defending Kyle Reese sort of thing. That's commerce. That's commerce, man. The free market, buddy. Man, that's that's a tricky question. Uh, I, I know a long, long time ago, um, Obama made a joke about like keeping the Jonas Brothers away from his daughters, and it's like, yeah, watch out, dude! I got predator drones. Like, uh, <laughs> that's a little bold. Uh, I will say, I do like this new era of presidents who say shit. It's not just like it's not just platitudes, and for better or worse, there's a little more reality there and a little more edge. Yeah, the communication is okay. I wish the person wasn't awful. Um, I think, I imagine, think. imagine if somebody like eloquent and thoughtful and compassionate and not self-serving was the one doing the communicating and the leading. That would be cool. I think. I think whether like it or not, I think our current president is sort of setting the stage for future presidents. Oh, I completely agree. Sadly, I don't, yes. I don't think yeah. we're going to see, hopefully we're not going to see the next round talking shit on Twitter to North Korea. Mm. But just breaking that open a little bit to be more in the moment, be more reactive, at least from a communication standpoint, I think that yeah. that is a good precedent to set, not necessarily the message that's being sent with it. Yeah, imagine if we had, um, you know, like the Canadian prime minister is this very young, charismatic, aware, and engaged individual someday, again, pending any kind of nuclear holocaust, we could potentially have something like that. And if if the standard for uh, communication and what that's going to mean is kind of being laid out right now, then yeah, let's uh, let's let's fart ourselves almost to death. And uh, then we can put ourselves back together. The, the, the harrowing thing was uh, about this time last year, I was, I was playing Destiny and I had picked up some randos to help me do one of the raids. And like one of these, they're all, I don't know why they're all from the South, but they are. Like, they just are. Um, and dude's like, maybe we can just let it all burn down for a little bit and just sort of, you know, reset the whole thing. I'm like, okay. Isn't that, really, isn't, isn't that kind of what is what just happened? Yes, it, abs <laughs> it absolutely is. Um, and as long, again, as long as there's no nuclear holocaust and I wish there wasn't quite so much poison, uh, we'll, we'll be okay. As long as, as long as no like truly terrible swaths of death sweep across the country at the hands of a mistimed <laughs> Twitter, Twitter accident. I think, I think, it, I think at this point, it's kind of, it's just nuclear war or even a symmetrical war between like full-size nations. It's just so unlikely because of how globalized and interconnected things are. I mean, the there are very few industries other than defense, right, who really benefit from uh, some sort of theoretical war of annihilation. Mm. And I mean, I think we've seen, right, the power is in the hands of corporations and the money. Yeah, the money has no real incentive for a nuclear war. So I think I think we've kind of gone beyond that. And I think what we need to worry more about is infrastructure attacks, 
you know, political sabotage, right? I mean, even if it wasn't very much money, we found out that Russian operatives were spending like $100,000 on Facebook ads. And, you know, we're both in the marketing and advertising space. So let's be real. 100K is pretty much nothing. Yeah. But I think that sort of warfare and that sort of sabotage is really what we need to actually be worried about in this era. Yeah, you don't want somebody hacking into a nuclear DNC. power plant. Yeah, the DNC. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Like that's that's a more terrible prospect. The, yeah. the idea, yeah, there's, we, we can go in circles on all of that. Um, ownership. So that's a, <laughs> ownership. That's a, well, what we just did there uh, is, a, is a long go taco, as uh, Jar Jar Binks would say. Um, <laughs> Wait, did we do it? Did we get um, did we get everything in that one sentence? Did we get Star Wars, off-topic conversation, technology, and politics into one sentence there? We missed video games. Yeah. Oh, shit, we missed video games. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I got a couple other things that I wanted to talk about for sure. ownership and status. What I thought of, like, literally before we started talking was, man, wouldn't it be cool to do a little bit of background research on this stuff and figure out what has ownership been through history, through various cultures, how have people defined ownership in ancient Egypt, in medieval France, in you know Native Americans, and today, and how has that defined the way that those societies have been structured? I'm gonna just ask you straight up: Do you know anything about that stuff? Uh, no, not really. Um, I, I vaguely remember something from middle school about Native American cultures having very loose concepts of ownership. True. Uh, I know in our modern era, ownership is somewhat dispersed, right? I still own my sneakers, but I don't really own the operating system I use. I don't own the software I use on that operating system. I don't own the transit I use. Mm -mm. But between then and now, I have literally no idea. Do you think in America or in any other Western country, people are defined by the things that they own? That's a stupid question. Of course they are. No, I, I think it's a fair question. I think... I think that paradigm is shifting a little bit, right? It used to be yeah. It used to be that it was pretty much just money and things. Um, that's probably simplifying it a little bit, but it seems like even more so now, I'd look at someone much more based on how many followers they have on Twitter versus like what car they drive. You know, I mean, sure, Floyd Mayweather is still putting pictures of his awesome watches up and stuff, but he is a bit of a relic of old school boxing old school consumerism Man. i think it's definitely shifting more it's like even on my social media i'm not really posting about what i own or what i'm buying right it's more about i was on this podcast check out this blog i wrote um i went to this talk it was interesting i learned this and that i think it's shifting the moment you mentioned that thinking about floyd mayweather and i'm the, the next thing that pops into my head is like kylie jenner people who Never, despite the fact that they do, and this is sort of a side question, do you own your followers? If you're an individual, the most prized possession that you have is the mercurial number attached to your followers. Do you own that? Is that a prized possession, something that can fluctuate up and down? I think it's a really, I think it's something that people think that they own and therefore like nurture it the way that you would nurture a plant. You own that plant, you own your group of followers. The next, next thought that comes into my head People like Floyd Mayweather and other personalities on social media who benefit from all that following, they still trot out like their their entire closet full of sneakers. 
and say, check out all the freaking sneakers I own. And people go, oh, man, dude, that's a, that's a lot of sneakers. The guy's got a lot of shoes. The guy's, guy's got a lot of sneakers. Or you take a screenshot of your Steam library or something like that. Check out all these games I've never played. I'm at about, 200, I got I'm at about 200 right now. Yeah, right? I mean, I've, I've participated in maybe like two or three Steam sales in the last 10 years. And I think I have about 60 games technically. And I've maybe played five of them for a I've little got, bit. I've got over 15 hours. I'm like, maybe 15 of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That still means that ownership is really cool for people. It yeah. is, and let's keep in mind, we don't actually own any of that. No, we don't. You own a license. Yeah. You bought a license, an infinitely replicatable license from Valve. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's yeah. no, there is no supply in the supply and demand equation for digital yeah. goods, right? No, and it's funny. It's quick. It's how quickly that stuff can go away too. Like recently, um, some silly game about gods fighting came out on Steam. Oh, I heard about that. And, yeah, yeah. yeah and the Malaysian government, I think, pretty much failed. But they actually tried to block Steam because they didn't want to see Gandhi fighting Zeus. Oh man, I know, I know. Like that's I the was, least of your worries. I was shocked and offended too. <laughs> but it's it's funny how like how quickly just having a slightly more theocratic government can strip away that thing that you feel like you own, but you don't really own it. Yeah, you don't own your gods. No, no, those are pretty much all licensed out at this point. Yeah, that's that's Creative Commons right there. <laughs> Jane Austen and the Pantheon of gods, all, all Creative Commons. Why do you think people tr keep trying to make Dracula movies? <laughs> creative Commons, dude. Like, we don't got well, a painting license for we that. Could either, we could either pay writers in a license, or we could do another story about vampires. Or or we could remake Clash of the Titans again. No, man, no. that Clash of the Titans movie. <laughs> uh, there's there's some cool parts in that movie, but it's real dumb. I, I just like anything where a dude has to fight like a whole band of giant scorpions or something like that. <laughs> like, wow, uh, that that Ray Harryhausen original movie is fantastic, but that remake is uh, real real dumb. Uh, I kind of like it, but it's real dumb. Is that the, that's the one. That one has a big Kraken fight scene, right? Yes, That's yes, it does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think I saw part of that while I was half asleep on an airplane one time. Yeah, that's about where it belongs. <laughs> yeah. There's so many movies now that are like being pan or being um, publicized as like blockbusters. And you see it and you're like, this is an airplane movie at best. Yeah, it really is. My dad asked me if uh, Dunkirk was out on video yet. And I said, well, n no, not yet. And also, you're asking me for movie recommendations while you're on a transatlantic flight, and I would never tell you to watch Dunkirk on an iPad because that's I've, I haven't not seen that yet. I've heard an it's, airplane it's movie. Good. It's oh man, you can you can feel that one in your teeth. Yeah, that one is intense. It's it's like 90 minutes of just like trying to hold it together. It's so scary. It's so loud. I saw it in IMAX, and it was deafening. How loud they had the audio mix up. Yeah, they've, got, they've got ham on the audio a little bit. Yeah. That's the end of that question. My, my timer just went off. I want to talk about kleptomania. How about that? Kleptomania? Are we talking about my Steam library again? Well, a little bit, because <laughs> when you don't own anything, mm -hmm. when you only own digital goods and you own a fluctuating number of followers and you have a Hulu subscription or whatever, how is that, and you're going to love this, how is that attitude reflected over in the games that you play, mainly 
open world games where the main objective is to book it around a sandbox and own as much stuff as humanly possible. You got your Skyrims, you got your Witchers, you got your Assassin's Creeds, and you got to go around, you got to collect all the things, got to own all the things. That's the primary objective for a lot of those open world games. What's the relationship there? You don't. We're living in a world where we don't necessarily own a lot of stuff, and then we play games where the objective is to own all the stuff. Hmm. It almost feels like it's standing in for some gap, something we're missing, right? Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. I think uh, I think there's kind of a fine line between open world and story driven. Where story driven, it's sort of buying into someone else's narrative, someone else's experience. And then some of these open world things, it's more about staking out your piece of, in big quotation marks, ownership in this uh, in this little fake world, which is interesting. And I think a lot about, like if we put the same effort we put into collecting magical swords that we did into like researching stocks or something, <laughs> we could own more real things. Um, I don't know how you think about that one. Researching magical swords isn't going to potentially lose you a lot of money because, you know, you're not, you're just kind of you know you're researching magical swords and you know you don't have to like potentially play the stock market and lose your lose all your money. Um, it's true. It's true. Yeah, there's no there's not much at stake. The only thing at stake is your time. You know, um, and time is the one completely unrenewable resource. Yeah, but we don't know how much it's worth. Unless, unless you earn a salary, unless you're a lawyer and you can build the quarter of an hour. <laughs> I have a friend who's a lawyer, and like every time we go and watch football, he's like, "Yeah, you know, just just build that guy, build a guy for 15 minutes of my time." <laughs> like, oh, lawyers. <laughs> oh, lawyers. Uh, yeah, I think I think you're dead on. I think people want to carve out their own little nests of ownership. They want to make their own little stories, whether it's inside of the shell of a protagonist in Assassin's Creed or if it's in Minecraft where there's absolutely no story and you just kind of want to build a world for your for you and your your blocko people to live in. Mm -hmm. I think investing your time into that and making yourself comfortable by knowing that you can own something in that digital space is a really good a really good feeling for a lot of people. Yeah, I think I worry about what it takes away from actually creating things and actually owning things because it is much lower friction to grind to level 60 than it is to get that promotion in the real world. So I yeah. think maybe maybe that's okay. Maybe we've come to a point where there is enough abundance and enough supply that you don't necessarily have to be out there grinding. Um, I don't think personally, yeah, exactly, I mean, we're already talking about universal basic income with you know with automation and all that. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's just the future is grinding and creating easy to do things that you like rather than grinding and creating TPS reports. <laughs> I think they're experimenting with universal income in Sweden, something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some of those some of those tiny little countries. That's the end goal, man. That's where we ought to. That's the utopia that we ought to aim for. Uh, that Star Trek next generation world where there is no money and all we want to do is cruise through space with our uh, morally developed psyches and all we want to do is just learn more about things. Or if you want to stay back on Earth and work on Jean-Luc Picard's vineyard, 
because you love doing that, then by all means, you can do that too. Yeah, the idea that freeing people to only do things they like, that's a, it's a seductive idea. I mean, we'll see. Um, there's a book called The Forever War, which follows like a sort of oh, typical man, Forever War. Yeah. It looks so good. He follows like a typical space marine, and because of like interstellar travel and physics, every time he comes back to Earth, yeah. yeah, it's like a thousand years later. And they do explore a universal basic income sort of mega city world. And I think, I think he was a little ahead of his time in that basically people just take some analog of weed and just sit in their cubes watching whatever the government's piping to them. I think they also sort of in a side, there's like, there was a cultural renaissance, but really only the few participated and the many just took their universal income and sat in their pods. Mm. So I don't know how that would really play out in the real world. I think there would be a large percentage of the population who would just stay in their pods. But I mean, shit, if you gave me a universal income, I would just be out there I don't know, horse whispering, whatever, right? You're freed, <laughs> out, you're freed out to do that. Yeah, if you had universal income, would you still live in a city? Probably. I like the energy. I like there's people everywhere. I like the buzz. I like the opportunity. Mm. Um, but having come off of unemployment and realizing how hard it is to actually fill 40 hours a week when you don't have a job, I think or it drugs. would be... No job, yeah, no drugs. Exactly, exactly. I think it would be a bit of a learning curve. I'm amazed that Star Trek happens to be one of the only science fiction shows that really says, no, we can do this and it can work out okay. Because the comparison is you have something like Forever War or you have Brave New World, where even when you have utopian societies, there's always this shadow behind it where it's like, oh, this would never work. <laughs> You're an idiot if you think this is going to work. Well, I think I think that all ties into that sort of rapidly aging ethic that you have to be doing something you don't like for eight hours a day yep. as a sort of testament to your character. Yep. Which uh, I think that's I think that's changing pretty quickly. I want to. Oh shoot! That's that's that one. I was going to ask you about uh, Geralt of Rivia, but I guess we're going to have to save that for next time. That's going to be the new running joke. We're going to keep saying that we're going to talk about The Witcher and then never talk about The Witcher. <laughs> We'll be the last persons on the internet to do a deep breakdown of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you like possessing? Give me, give me a list of things that you like owning. You said shoes earlier. Yeah. Things yeah. I like owning. Yeah. Hmm. Do you like, like buying back your childhood? Uh, not so much. I'm not much a nostalgia guy. I like owning a cat. He's pretty cool. It's like a, it's like a furry little person who uses the toilet and stuff. Uh, I like owning clothes, I guess. I like owning gadgets, which are basically just portals into other things that I don't own. Mm. Um, I don't know, man. What do you like? What do you love owning? Right? You just bought a house, right? Yeah, uh, earlier this year. Um, it's good to have a house. It's it's cool. You can you can rip out all the wall sockets and replace them with ones that work. <laughs> spice racks. Spice racks. You can, build, you can build a spice rack into the wall. Um, yeah, you can do stuff to it. And know that, yep, this is this is how I want it to be. That's a pretty nice feeling. You can you can make it as as comfortable and as livable as possible, and you make it so comfortable sometimes that you don't necessarily want to leave and go into that city full of buzz and people and and that sort of stuff. <laughs> Although later this afternoon, I'm probably going to go watch football with people in the city. <laughs> That's yeah. How how's that work? We build these little fortresses for ourselves that are so 
nice and comfy and exactly the way that we want it. And then uh, we still feel an obligation to go out and make ourselves miserable in the inefficiencies of uh, the living world. <laughs> you tell me you don't like going to watch football in a noisy bar? Sometimes I do, but mostly I don't. Um, I, could, I could agree with that. Yeah. I love football so much and I hate the NFL so much. So you can see where I'm, you can see the kind of situation I'm in. <laughs> hey man, can't you just watch the Canadian football league? Oh no, that's different type of football. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, back to possession. Um, yeah, I like, I like owning a couple different things. Um, I, I realized that I do like cool shoes, but not like sneakers necessarily, more just like, yeah, that's a cool looking pair of shoes. So I would own like the coolest pair of sneakers that I could find. Um, talking about I made a joke. Uses, right? Oh yeah, those. Uh, <laughs> I made a joke, I made a joke uh, advertisement plug about um, Muji in the last episode. There's a Muji store right in downtown in Boston. And it's basically, uh, it's, Japanese uh, TJ Maxx to, to really, that's that's a cruel way to put it, but they have everything there. You know, they sell pens, they sell sneakers, they sell uh, bedding, and they sell coffee cups, which is what where, I was talking where, about last where time. Where is this? For it's, right by, it's right by the Prue. Um, it's right by off of Newberry Street. Okay, so it's down there in the, the fancy schmancy neighborhood. Yeah, and they have... Uh, they basically have Chuck Taylors there that have no logos on them. And I think that's really cool. You I want to get these my, those, have my interest. Those sneakers. Right? So it sounds, sounds like Uniqlo for home goods. Yeah. I don't know what Uniqlo is, but yeah. It's that Japanese basics brand, U-N-I-Q-L-O. Oh. Well, shows what I know, I guess. God, man. You got to get out of your house. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, I want to get... Uh, I think... Uh, I like owning stuff that has no brand on it. I think that's cool. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I don't take any interest in wearing the brands of another individual. I would rather wear something that I think is weird and cool, and match it up with something else that is non-branded and cool, and make something interesting out of that, as opposed to being like, "Yep, I bought the entire uh, Diddy wardrobe." <laughs> the entire, entire Diddy wardrobe. Yeah, wow. like I, I'm wearing all Sean John today. Like no, like that's not fashion. You just you just bought like a a, a wardrobe, man. So that does go, tie into ownership. That, that does tie into ownership a little bit, right? Because you well, you, you want to. I want to own my my look. You know, I want to own my yeah, look. Exactly. Yeah. I think I'm more proud of owning the things I've made, right? Even yeah. if it, even if it is like a goofy blog post about how to get more leads, <laughs> like there's a certain sense of satisfaction in owning things you've actually created versus owning things that you went out and bought. Yeah, it's very true. But I wonder how different that is from the way that our parents functioned where or or maybe our grandparents, like they just wanted to own a Cadillac, man. They wanted a Cadillac. They wanted an automobile that would take them around town and there would be this giant status symbol that other people could see them in. Like, no, wow, they didn't have dude. they didn't have they didn't have Twitter followers, man. You had to you had to flex somehow. Town was the Twitter. <laughs> we talked about that last time. Like church, it the is. original, the original news feed. It really is, man. As we get disconnected, siloed, we, uh, you know, we look for community in other places. Yeah. Here's a question: Do we have more or less ownership over our community? Uh, our communities are bigger. 
they're bigger, but we have less ownership and less control. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, less connection. Um, yeah, I know that I know my next door neighbors. Um, they're, they're, they're exactly neighbors, you know, they're, if someone, <laughs> if someone, hey, Alex, yeah, hey, how's it going? Yeah. The dog's barking too much. No, they're fine. No, oh, sorry. The dogs are barking too much. They're, they're not barking. They're fine. You sure? <laughs> hey, sure. I can, I can kill them in front of you if you need me to. No, that's quite all right. Want to borrow a rake? Like, I don't even like dogs. Want to borrow a rake? <laughs> a rake? Wait, what was the question? Uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> Uh, I think something about neighbors and rakes. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you think is going to start really falling away in terms of ownership as time goes by? Because once upon a time, owning people was a pretty good status symbol. You know, if you were if you were Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the Third, owning a owning a person was about the best that you could do. Uh, that's that's a joke on our current Attorney General. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think ownership. Right. You still. I mean, to some degree, if you own a company and you hire people, you you own most of their waking hours. So I think though the framework has changed a little bit, I think owning people's time is still a sought after goal, right? Especially if you look at companies and their growth, they're like, oh, we hired 100 new people this year. So we have 4,000 new people's hours that we can do whatever we want with. Look at all the time I own. <laughs> Your youth, it's mine. Have some cold brew. Uh, lower them into the vat, render them down. I will, I will bathe, <laughs> bathe in the time of these youths that I own. <laughs> oh Lord! Uh, uh, cars, I think. Cars are falling away. Yeah. Uh, Media. I, I yeah. I, I constantly write little jokes about the advertising again during football games because I hate the NFL, but I love football. It's always car ads. It's like buy a car for the love of God. Buy, Please, buy. Buy a pickup truck. Like, I don't, why? What am I going to do with it? I don't work in a shale quarry, man. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have a boat. What do I need to haul? Why do I need a pickup truck? Look, buddy, if you want to buy some snowmobiles, you don't want to have to go out and buy a truck too, right? So you just go ahead and front load it, get the truck in. Then when it's time to buy four wheelers, snowmobiles, and dirt bikes, you're good to go. Yeah, the real trouble with a car is like a cell phone is that it depreciates in value like so quickly. The the fact that a, that a piece of property is supposed to appreciate in value is like the only incentive that I would have to buy a house versus, you know, renting renting a place. Uh, yeah, renting's, renting's a tough one, man. Like I love yeah. the flexibility and the ability to like every year go somewhere new if I want to, but you really are yeah. just throwing your money into a pit. Yeah, media will definitely dwindle in the coming years because newness is going to be critical as time goes by got to have something new because i promise you you got to go and talk to a lot of people before you find somebody who says yeah i go back and watch season one of house of cards i go go back and restream season two of bojack bojack (laughs) no you, you you funnel that stuff into your into your mouth like a like a smoothie not to say that it isn't good and not to say that season one of House of Cards isn't worth watching again. Yeah, I think but I think I at think this anybody's point, going. no, it's yeah. it is different. I think at this point, like, just take Netflix for example. At least for me, they're starting to reach a critical mass where they have enough shows that I like that 
at least every two weeks there's a new season of something I'm interested in and sort of fits my preferences. Whereas when I was younger, I had a bookshelf full of books and I reread Dune probably six times. Did you know that I've tried to read Dune like five times in my life and I've never gotten through it? How? It's so good. Uh, it, uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Dude. I feel I feel bad. I, I got to admit, and this is, this is wrong for so many reasons, I kind of like the David Lynch movie. Uh, dude. Dude, at least at least go for the sci-fi miniseries. Yeah, that, that, now you know these are the conversations that I have while watching football. I'll just be like, uh, you know, I've never actually read all the way through Dune. I'm like, yeah, I like the David Lynch movie. Like, what? The sci-fi miniseries? Like, I know, I know. Nah, Dune, Dune. The first book is a pretty classic hero's journey, mm-hmm. but after the after like maybe the second or third book. Oh, they man. just go off the rails. They're thousands yeah. of years in the future. Thousands of years ago, before the sandworms crashed upon Arrakis here. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they eventually turn Arrakis into a forest world. Mm. Well, that's topography for you. No. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Global warming. Yeah. Cooling. Oh, Frank Herbert. Oh, I get what you were after there. <laughs> uh, no, man. Unfortunately, he died before finishing it. Yeah. That's always the problem with these sci-fi series. You got your, fortunately, hopefully George R. R. Martin doesn't die uh, before George, we get George, George, if you're listening to this, please, buddy. Yeah, please. We need you to read. We need you to write that book. TV show's fine, but you know, I need a little more exposition. Um, you, do you know uh, Leviathan Wakes and the Expanse and all that? You've told me about it like six times, and it sounds yeah. great each time. Uh, so from what I've what I've heard, it is written by George R. R. Martin's editors. Mm-hmm. And they have written, I think when all is said and done, and they think they have an end date in mind, they will have written one book a year for eight years. And that will be the entirety of that series. And it is not as massive, I think, as Game of Thrones, but it is nonetheless a lot of stuff just put out there. And those dudes, they're, they're two people, and one of them writes like the four, these four characters, and one of them writes the other four characters, and then they shuffle them like a deck of cards, and that's how they write the books. And it's been turned into the sci-fi show on the for for the expanse. And man, that is they're a machine. And it makes me wonder what's wrong with George R. R. Martin. Um, if those guys, if those are the guys that he's got helping him, what's what's wrong with what's wrong? Finish your book, George. George. Yeah. <laughs> like you're either not doing enough cocaine or you're doing too much cocaine because it's got to be one or the other. <laughs> HBO's probably taking most of his time and giving him enough money that it's like. Yep, I, I would imagine. I would imagine the viewership for the final season of Game of Thrones is many, many, many times greater than the viewers readership he's going to get for the actual book. Yeah, I will be very interested to see what happens in. Like, I'm not going to read the books because I've never read the books, and you know who's got time for that. Um, but I, I want to see how it deviates. Um, the only other example of that that I can think of is uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Okay. Have you ever watched watched that? Mm-hmm. It started out as a manga, right? started as a manga and the anime caught up to the manga and the manga's like dude i'm still writing so the anime is like all right well what do you know about what happens next and they went one way and the manga went the other the, they ended up completely different and then years and years later they remade the entire series to mimic the path of the manga so there are two versions of the story and they have a, yeah, they right. have a deviation point so I watched the entirety of it, one version, and then I watched the remake version that went in an entire different direction at about the midpoint. 
So it's just fascinating to see. That's, that's actually really cool. I think yeah. I'd like to see that in more stuff where you um, sort of explore the what could have been. There are entirely pivotal characters who do not appear whatsoever in one version versus another. Okay, how about we do a uh, how about we do another Star Wars movie where Luke takes the Emperor's deal and we see Darth Luke? I'd be in for that. Darth Luke. Okay, we hit Star Wars. Nice. Yes, <laughs> we did it. <laughs> yeah. All right. What else? Uh, uh, what else we want to chit chat about here? Yeah. Right. Um, do you want to talk at all about uh, the Witcher? That's a joke. We're never going to talk about the Witcher. <laughs> I will say, since we're on that. I think of all the games I've fallen asleep playing, The Witcher is the most often. Because I would be like, you know, 11.30 and I'm like walking around Rivalon or wherever they are. And like next to a beautiful, quiet, bambling brook. My wife's behind me like doing whatever it is she does back there. She's like, are you awake? You've been standing in that river for 10 minutes. <laughs> I thought it was going to be like you lean too hard on the W key or something like that. And your guy just like walks. <laughs> keeps going forward. I don't know, man. I think at a certain point, video games that are too peaceful and beautiful and quiet, it's too easy to fall asleep. Yeah. I don't think I've ever fallen asleep playing a game. I've, I've used games to wake myself up. Uh, I'll play F-Zero GX or something like that. To, like, ah. Uh. I, I would do that. I would do that in college. I would wake up and I would like shotgun an entire French press with coffee and I would play F-Zero GX and then I would go to class. Um, <laughs> They're like, why is this guy twitching? I'm like, I'm yeah. racing. I'm still racing. Yeah, that. if you want to talk about... Man, we should do a whole episode about games that influenced our personalities the most. Um, I, could, I could see it. Yeah, F-Zero like GX definitely up there. Man, that, that game will... That'll that'll tickle your action cortex. That that F Zero GX is what I'll it tell is. you. I'll tell you. Um, Elder Scrolls Morrowind, back on Xbox. Mm-hmm. That game yeah, had like, that game had like ten minute loading screens, and my poor little brother, man, <laughs> my poor little brother, and more, more bullying happened in those loading screens in the entirety of our childhood combined. <laughs> like, well, I'm bored. Where's my little brother? Do some, let's do some toughness training, buddy. Yeah, I'm gonna knock him around a little bit. I um, used to play. I used to play this game with myself. <laughs> I used to play this game yeah. with myself. <laughs> yeah. Four twenty. <420. laughs> <No. laughs> um, I used to. I used to do this thing in when I was playing the original Destiny, uh, where whenever there was a loading screen, I would just do push-ups because there mm-hmm. were so many loading screens. Because mm-hmm. um, you got to go from planet to planet. You got to do this. You got to do that. You got to go back to town. You got to do all these things. Destiny 2, there's so few instances of loading now. They've really buttered up that whole that whole canal, if you know what I mean. There goes that fitness plan. There goes that fitness, and now I got a gut uh, <laughs> swinging around like a volleyball under my shirt. Uh, that's that's a joke. I got I got muscles. <laughs> for anyone who uh, can't see, and for anyone who doesn't know, Crumb is a very live individual. Uh, yeah. Uh, so what I've what I've tried to do even more recently is I have a wobble board, and I try to play while standing on the wobble board, and I'll go into like a like a crouch position to try to do strength training. It's really difficult. It's really really difficult. I can't really play a shooter while doing that. I can do more peaceful things uh, <laughs> while while on the wobble board, but I can't really. Uh, I can't play first-person games. A wobble board, you millennial. <laughs> yeah, right. So I have, I have, uh, I have three-dimensional standing mats in my kitchen. Uh, they're they're pretty cool. 
What's a standing mat? Is that like it has terrain on it? So yeah, it's like you're standing on exactly. it's like it's squishy. Like, yeah, exactly. It's got like ridges and things and bumps. Yeah. Every time I have guests over, they trip on it. Literally every single guest we've ever had. Look at those noobs. I think I almost lost my father. <laughs> you can't even walk on a three-dimensional standing mat. <laughs> yeah, I got um. We have this bookshelf in the living room where the the top level ha has enough real estate on top, where you can just put your laptop down uh, on the on the top of it, and it just becomes a standing desk. Basically, it's the perfect height for that kind of thing. It's kind of nice. Did you know that Ernest Hemingway stood when he was writing? What? Yeah, he had he had standing desks, and he but he also insisted upon standing on the skin of a lesser Urdu as like his mat, his his terrain mat that he had to stand on whenever using his typewriter. <laughs> so get, get jacked, everybody. Uh, Ernest Hemingway invented the standing desk. He had a remarkable understanding of masculinity. Uh, demonstration of the cyclicality of youth because that whole story is just about him and his buddies kicking it in Spain instead of going to work basically um like the the character is just sort of like yeah we're, we're not gonna he's supposed to be in paris and he's supposed to be doing work but he and his buddies just take off and uh, they go to spain and hang out and have parties and uh one of his friends has an affair with a bullfighter and uh it's just fantastic because they're just they're they're freaking millennials man they don't want to go to work so for like an entire month they just peace out and get drunk by a river it's awesome i love it Oh, those times, those times of low accountability and uh, easy fun. Yeah, it's just yeah, like oh yeah, this guy was a boxer, uh, and we're gonna go to go to a nice warm climate and meet people, and that's what that's all it was. Um, My buddy just did that and disappeared to the Canary Islands for like five weeks to go kite surf with his friends. It's still doable. <laughs> yeah, you can do it. Um, yeah, you just need. Uh, you just got to make sure you don't run out of money. That's the membership. Money is the membership uh, to the club of not being eaten alive by animals. I think one thing when I was like younger, I was like, you don't need money to be happy. You kind of need money to access all the cool stuff that you want to do. That's that. Yeah, you, you don't need money to be happy, but you need, do need money to live. Um, yeah, and to so. do the things that make you happy, really, a lot of them. Yeah. Ain't that, ain't that troubling. That's, that's what you back, need. Yeah. Which circles back. To a World of Warcraft membership is like fifteen bucks a month, dude. That's still, I don't know, probably. Oh, man, I want how many? How many people are? What's the what's the population count in World of Warcraft right now? Uh, everybody in the chat, I know you're all there. We have a thousand people in the chat right now. Um, uh, tell us, tell us what the population of World of Warcraft is right now, uh, because that's relevant. I know, information. I know that their numbers have been down. Wait, guess wait, before you do it. Make a guess. Um, do you want the okay, over, uh, want the over or under on six million? I'm gonna take. Do you want the over or under on that? Under. You want under? You want under on six? Okay, cool. I'll take over. Under. Okay. Get the world of Warcraft census. Uh, it dropped to about four million from its peak in Wrath of the Lich King. Wrath of the Lich King was around twelve million. Oh man. Okay. Under. Got him. Got him. Okay. Got him. Talk about a cultural artifact, man. I don't know. It was kind of cool the other day. The other day, I actually went to a like a kind of trendy local beer and wine store, 
and they actually actually had the League of Legends on the screen instead of football, soccer, whatever. Yeah. Times are changing, man. I don't know why, but my girlfriend's favorite game to watch is StarCraft. StarCraft. Uh, she finds it. She finds it incredibly legible. I don't know the first thing. I, I know the fundamentals of, of like a MOBA, but I don't know like I don't know the characters. I don't know anything about that stuff. But when she watches StarCraft, she like instantly gets it. She she knows exactly what's going on. I can see it. I mean, it's a pretty, it's a very rock paper scissors sort of thing. I I always say that StarCraft is like if Bill Belichick had a finger in the brain of every single person on his offense or defense at a given moment, and he was manipulating all of their brains all at once. <laughs> Bill Belichick's got that's some what, sick APMs. <laughs> that's, yeah, that is what StarCraft is. You have to control the brain of every single person all at once at all times. This is the second time we've talked about Blizzard in two episodes, which is good because they're so smart. They yeah. really know how to balance a game. They got so many people, and they know how to test these things and know what's up really but the scary thing is that apparently the report now is overwatch's development is slowing because they had to divert so many resources to battling toxic players man i don't know about that i feel like i don't mind toxic players i feel like it's part of it's part of the climate right like it wouldn't be the same without at least some assholes. At at high enough levels of any competition, you're going to have that because you have animosity. Right. Uh, they're the again players in professional basketball, players in professional hockey. You know they don't they don't like each other uh, because they are competing. And nevertheless, no, but not everybody can walk up and start playing in the NHL. People can buy a copy of Overwatch and start playing Overwatch, but if they know that psychopaths are going to make their initial experience hostile, then that's damaging to Blizzard's potential capacity for selling more copies of the game. Mm -hmm. I understand why they need to combat that, especially at lower levels. It's a PR thing. Um, I can see it. I can see. Yeah. The really scary thing is to know that there are certain types of personalities, and you know, maybe I'll you can you can speak to this because you're a jerk. Um, <laughs> uh, People whose version of happiness inside of a game world is ruining other people's happiness. That's all they want to do. They just want to like, oh, why would you sit somewhere and snipe me from the other side of the map? That's they know you're they're ruining your fun. So that's that's a greater rush for them than actually participating in the structured game. I think um, I think toxic or not, it's sort of going beyond. I think it's creating your own fun. Even if you play something like GTA Online, right? You can go do the things they say you should do, right? Go on a heist. Go. Do an airplane race, or you control people, and I think while it may be kind of mean, it's an interesting way that people are kind of creating their own structure, their own competition, etc. Within those, but then of course see, the argument does make sense, right? You don't want some somebody new to get not get invested because somebody who's gotten bored with the core systems has taken up the trolling game, right? True. So I, I think you need to find a balance, right? There'll always be some smack talk, but bothering people on direct message after the fact, things like that. Yeah, I could see them wanting to shut that down. Again, longer conversation around toxicity and uh, online games and what's the point of these things? What are people actually really trying to get get at? Mm -hmm. um, you know, like you said, they're trying to find their fun. 
and this is the environment that they try to find it in, um, whose responsibility is it to make sure that people who don't want to participate in that can still play the play the game, whether as designed or or otherwise? I think um, I think uh, maybe this is too complex or something of design, but a lot of things have a mute all the players button, right? Oh yeah, could have right above it mute all the toxic players and you know if you're in and you want to hear it you want to be involved in sort of that ecosystem just don't don't meet the toxic players if you don't want to have people talk shit get the toxic players so if you're a toxic player do you become do you get branded uh as as somebody who is known for wickedness and therefore uh you get a, you get a big old t stamped on your next to your profile or what have you a little, little troll little troll avatar yeah, they do that in uh, certain fighting games. I think in Street Fighter V, they send people to the abyss and they suddenly find themselves only in matchmaking with other people like that who have been known for leaving matches or for being uh, not participating oh, or God. what have you. So, and you got to dig yourself out of that relegation because that's how that's how Capcom in that case has chosen to deal with those sorts of people. I like that. I think that's I think that's better than a straight ban or a straight suspension, right? Yeah. Just Send them off to the troll dungeon. Let them have yeah. fun. Let them do whatever it is they do. Yeah, and if they, yeah, and if they want to get out, then they gotta you know invest, better, in, invest in some good boy take. points and yeah, and you're good. Yeah, because you don't own it. Don't own shit. You don't. You don't aren't entitled to something just because you bought a copy of the game. You bought a license of the game. You know. Let's well, do a uh, let's do a little ad spot for something that doesn't sponsor us, and maybe they will. Um, <laughs> So I'm munching on Thayer's Natural Remedies Slippery Elm Lasagnas. They're nature's gentle demulsant. The key ingredient here is sugar, and it's pretty good. I don't know what elm bark is, but I highly recommend it. It's got oh, okay. a well, nice texture. I am going to advertise uh, DAS keyboards. They're a mechanical keyboard, and uh, this thing is a thing of beauty. Uh, listen, listen to this, everybody. Oh, me too, me too. I'm on the Razer Black Widow. Oh, nice. How loud that is, it's perfect. Yeah, I love it. Makes you feel <laughs> like you're makes it feel like you're typing with a machine gun. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, those those are our sponsors. Um, Elm Bark and Keyboards. If uh, if you want to put us on payroll, you know where to find us. Uh, www.straightcashgiveitupoverhere.com slash Slash goes a little. Um, <laughs> in in other in other news, you can find uh, uh, on Twitter at Alex underscore Crumb. Uh, I don't read Twitter, but I do post to it, and I will respond to messages because I can't. At Joel Trog, J O L T R O G. Hey, guess what? I've written two books. Um, one of which is available online, and the other one is still in the editing bay right now. Um, I'm trying to decide how much or how little I need to do before I can make a second draft available. Um, and the third one is about mm, almost halfway done. So that's pretty cool. Uh, you can find all that on ghostlittle.com. Yeah, man, speaking of creating things, this guy over here always creating stuff. Oh yeah, that's me. Uh, <laughs> someday, uh, someday I'm gonna make it, baby. Um, and everything's gonna it. be all right. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, you can find Ghost Little, the Ghost Little Show, which is what this is, on your podcast device. I have it on my phone. 
on my Android phone on just some random podcasting app. So chances are, if you search for The Ghost Little Show on iTunes or where have you, it does show up and you can download it. It does. It's true. I looked. Yep. It exists. Uh, tell your friends. Um, they'll like it. Yeah. If your friends are disillusioned millennials who work in marketing and content, this is just the thing for them. <laughs> uh, we're, we're like pygmy adults. You know, we're, we, we're just like small, small old people. We view most societal problems through the lenses of fantasy worlds. So, yeah, if you're on that train. Like most should. <laughs> what, what should we do for outro music? Should we include some outro music? 